Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Father, we thank you for these young people, and we thank you for the privilege it is to uh, share ministry with them, for them to share with us. And Lord, we pray your blessing on them as they continue to walk with you and uh, learn about you. And as we share communion today, uh, may our focus be on our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. Good, good to see you today. Have a good day. We have a great Sunday school program for all ages. Um, and uh, we have teachers that love the Lord and teach these young people and our teenagers and our adults as well. So we invite you to come and join us uh, next Sunday at 930. Back about 40 plus years ago, um, I was dating uh, a young lady. And uh, our relationship had uh, been going for a while. And we got to a, a point uh, where, you know, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. And um, we, uh, one night I, I brought her home to her house and uh, said goodnight. And as we said goodnight, uh, she got up the nerve to say to me, I love you. And I said back to her, I like you too. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think, Mike? <laughs> and I don't know why I said that, because I did love her. And, um, but I grew up in a home where I, I knew my mom loved me, and I knew my aunt that lived with us and our family, that I knew they loved me. And, uh, but we didn't verbalize it a lot. It was just the way I grew up. We just, you, know, you know what I mean? Some of you grew up in that situation. You know, we just didn't say it. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't remember if anybody ever said, I love you, although I knew they loved me. So I, I just responded, um, I like you too, you know. And uh, she went in, closed the door, and I got in the car, and I thought, that didn't go so well. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I expressed what I really was in my heart, you know. And, uh, but I believe in the sovereignty of God, and uh, this, this June, Teresa and I will be celebrating our 40th anniversary, so... <laughs> And, you know, if we open our Bibles this morning to, to the Gospel of John, chapter 21, we've been doing a, sort of a short series here after Easter on uh, the encounters with Jesus Christ after the resurrection and um, through the ascension and through the day of Pentecost. And so we're going to continue that. Uh, next week, Pastor Gary will be uh, preaching. And then uh, June, first week of June, Pastor Kevin will be sharing the service. We have our high school graduation. And then on June 8th, it happens to be Pentecost Sunday, we'll be looking at the uh, account of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So in John chapter 21, if you, if you haven't remember, we looked last uh, two weeks ago about uh, Jesus having breakfast with the disciples on the Sea of Galilee when they were out in the boat fishing, and he said, you know, have you caught anything? Throw it on the other side. Anybody remember how many fish they caught? Huh? 153. Very good, yes. And uh, they came back, and Jesus uh, uh, spoke with them. And it's in this setting of this uh, breakfast with Jesus along the shore of Galilee, which is up north, north of Jerusalem. They gone, went back up to their homeland, their home country, where these disciples really pretty much all came from. 
And in chapter 21, verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Now, if, and I don't want to make an assumption, but I know many of you have grown up in Sunday school and church as I have, or spent time listening to preachers and so forth, teachers, and there's probably a good chance that sometime in your life uh, you have been taught or heard the take on this story that there's a little play on words here in the Greek language. Because when Jesus says to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And more than these, and Simon responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. You may have heard that there's sort of a play on words here and that when Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He uses the Greek word agape love. Um, there are several words in Greek, just like every language, for love. The three most common in the Bible are agape, love, which really uh, later becomes sort of a uniquely Christian word. The Christians didn't originate it or invent it, but it was not a real common word in Greek literature, and the Christians embraced it through the power of the Holy Spirit, inspired by God. And of course, we know in John's epistles, and in Paul's writings, and in Peter's writings, you know, throughout the New Testament, this becomes a very important word that describes God's love. God's love, which is not dependent on feelings. God's love, which is not dependent on your phone off, Gary. God's, okay, it wasn't yours, okay. God's love, which doesn't depend on emotions, but it's a, it's a love that is, is beyond that. It's a love that is loving despite what is returned, or regardless of whether the person, the object that love, loves God back. Another word for love is phileo, which Philadelphia, city of what? Brotherly love, which is another word for love. And then, of course, eros. And these are the three common words you'll find in the New Testament. And so oftentimes where it's pointed out, there's a play on words here, that Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you agape me? You, do you love me with that real, godly, genuine love? A love that is, uh, even some have described in the, in the Greek tools that we can, you can research, that it was, it was an intellectual. In other words, it was a love that was, was, was not affected by emotions, feeling, or any kind of fickleness. And Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know I what? I phileo, I love you with a brotherly love. And oftentimes, Peter is presented as kind of a, uh, you know, a little bit of a, a clueless guy or whatever, you know, he, he's really stereotyped, and people will point out that, you know, Peter really kind of dropped the ball here. This is sort of like, I love you, and saying, I like you too, <laughs> you know, but that's kind of what Peter did. I'd like to challenge that this morning, I'd like to challenge your thinking if you've been taught that, because, number one... Peter and Jesus aren't talking Greek. They're not speaking Greek. They're speaking most likely Aramaic. Some believe they're speaking Hebrew. Well, I'm not going to go on that. You know, it doesn't really matter. Either they're, they're related languages, like Romance languages. They're related. Um, 
They're not speaking Greek. They're speaking, let's just say, Aramaic. Okay? And in the Aramaic, the, it was more common to use one word for love, but it could be the nuances. It could be the, the background of, of what you're saying and how you're saying it that really translate in, into what you're saying. And so it's interesting, I think, that the NIV, and frankly, I think, it's, I think they did a good job here, because you'll notice the NIV, as I have up here, says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And they put the word truly in there because John writes this inspired by the Holy Spirit. John was there. Now, whether he heard this discussion or not, he was there at breakfast with, with Peter, James, and John and Jesus. So he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. So when he writes this and translates their Aramaic conversation into Greek, because that's where this, this book, this literature was going to go throughout the world into the common trade language, just like today, Let's face it, English is a common trade language around the world. And if you were to write something today you wanted to reach the most people quickly, you would probably write it in English, right or wrong, just because of the, the trade language in a lot of ways. And so he wrote it in Greek, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. So when he wrote this, he caught the nuance of Jesus, and he may have just said in the Aramaic, Peter, do you love me? And, and knowing, as John does, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God and God's love, he can write this, do you agape me? But that's not necessarily what Peter heard because we're talking Aramaic and it may not have been an equivalent world, but John writes this. Peter's response, before we stereotype Peter as just kind of like me, you know, being a little clueless there and saying, I like you too. When he says to Jesus, with the word phileo, that I, I love you, this was a very strong word. In fact, like any language, um, words have overlaying or overlapping meanings. We don't do this in English, but sometimes in the Greek or Hebrew we say, well, it means this always, it means this always. In fact, that very same word is used in John chapter 5, verse 20, when it says the Father loves the Son. So these words can be used interchangeably. They have, they have nuances, they, they, over, they overlap each other. You can't just cut it that fine. The father loves the son is the exact same word that Peter used when he said, Lord, you know I love you. And that word that he used was actually a very powerful, very strong word, and it conveyed strong emotions, strong feelings. Strong compassion. Peter was not taking a step back and saying, well, I can't love you that way, Lord, but I do like you. You know, I, I am your friend. And sometimes it's been translated, and they'll say, yes, you know, you know I'm your friend, Lord. That's not what he was saying. Peter was using the strongest word that he, and the nuance that he could use in his language and his context. And I just want to kind of break this stereotype. Unfortunately, Peter is stereotyped so often. Um, you know, Peter is saying, Lord... You know I love you deeply. I do love you. I love you passionately. I'm not just your friend. I have, this, is, this is the feelings I have for you. You know that I love you. And Jesus says to Peter, okay, Peter, feed my lambs. And then he goes on to tell us that a second time, Jesus said to him again, Simon, son of John, do you and as John writes this, inspired by the Holy Spirit and catching the nuance of the conversation, whatever word, probably racham or rachaman in Aramaic or Hebrew he used, that 
do you, lo do you love me? In the NIV again, do you truly love me? Do you, do you love me, John? Do you really love me? Regardless of what happens. And, and Simon says to him, Peter says, yes, Lord. You know, you know that I love you. It's the second time. You know that I love you. You know that. I love you. He's not saying I like you. I love you, Jesus. And Jesus says to him again, Peter, take care of my sheep. Take care of my sheep. And then finally, verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, and, he, and this time, as John writes this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, catching the nuance of this conversation, he uses the word Peter's been using. And I don't think it's a demeaning thing. I don't think he's saying, okay, Peter, you don't really love me like God, with God's love, but do you really like me? That's not what he's saying. I, I want to completely twist this around and say, this is, a, this is a challenge by Jesus in the highest levels of Peter. Do you really feel that strongly about me? Do you love me that passionately? Do you have these feelings toward me? Do you really love me? Really? And it says, and it says here the third time, and it says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Do you really love me, Peter? Do you have this phileo love, this passionate feelings of love toward me? And, and Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And the Lord says, Peter, feed my sheep once again. And I really want to suggest to you that the, the, the powerful part of this conversation, the part that really, really matters, I guess, in a sense, is that really I think we should catch, rather than focus on the agape and phileo, I think what we should focus on is the third time. Because you notice it's when Jesus says a third time that, that Peter's heart's broken. It hurts him. He was hurt deeply. I want you to remember the. I want you to put yourself in Peter's place. If we go back to, to Mark, you can keep your hand there in John, but if you go back to Mark chapter 14, very common story. I'm assuming most of you know this pretty well. In Mark chapter 14, but the reason I'm reading it from Mark is because, as we've mentioned before, I believe, and many Bible teachers and authors, scholars, and so on, believe that Mark is kind of Peter's gospel because Mark worked with Peter. And you notice Peter didn't write a gospel. If anybody should have written a gospel, it was Peter. But Mark did. And it's a, and it's a gospel that is really noted by its action. There's not a lot of dialogue. It's more action and gets right to the point. You know, as Mark skips the, the birth narratives, for example, and gets right into the story of Jesus' ministry and John the Baptist. And many believe that Mark's gospel is really Peter's narrative that Mark was inspired by God to record and write down for the Christian world. And so this, I want you to think about this. This may be Peter's telling of the story. Actually, John's telling of it's a little nicer, a little softer on Peter than this one. Verse 66, now Jesus is being interrogated. He's being interrogated by the Sanhedrin. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls, the high priest, came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You are with that Nazarene, Nazarene Jesus, she said. 
But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went on into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean. His dialect gave him away. He was from Galilee. It was his, it was his accent. No, look what Peter does here. He began to call down curses on himself. He swore to them. He used language he shouldn't have used. He is swearing. He is cursing. I don't know this man. Uh, we aren't told the curse words he used, but they're in there. I don't know this man. I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus and spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Jesus said, Peter, before this night's over, you're going to disown me three times. Peter swore and cursed up and down, finally, and the third time. And you know, as you read the resurrection occurrences that we've been looking through this, if I were Peter, if I were Peter, I would just be waiting for this to come up. Wouldn't you? You, know, you ever done something that wasn't so great? Or maybe you really did something to let somebody down, somebody you loved, and they knew about it, and you knew they knew about it, and you, you, know, you know at some point this has to come up. And I, I'm wondering, every time the disciples are there and Jesus comes and stands with them, when they're by the, the sea having breakfast, when they go to the tomb, whenever, they, whenever Jesus has been there, I wonder, and, and, and we know it's been at least three times, we, I wonder... And Peter isn't thinking, okay, it's going to come up now. It has to come up, and it's going to come up in front of all my friends, and, and Jesus is going to deal with me on this. And Jesus never brings it up. He never brings it up. He never scolds Peter. He never yells at him. He never lectures him. Now, I, I, I have four children, and I, and I know I've spent a lot of time lecturing Right? As dads, you know, we do that sometimes. Um, after we think, oh, I didn't need to do that. I could have done that differently, maybe. And, and, and he doesn't do that. He doesn't lecture him. He doesn't yell at him. He doesn't bring it up. He doesn't set him straight. But in this context, and I think it's just Peter and Jesus. I don't know that anybody else is listening. It's, I think they kind of stepped aside. That's my own personal take on it. Could be wrong. But Jesus, in his Jesus way, you know, as you would expect God to do, he does bring it up in a, in a way that gives Peter an opportunity to, to respond and also continue his work, his ministry, his restoration. This is Peter's restoration. You know, Jesus would have had every, nobody could have argued after what Peter did, swore and cursed up and down and used language that wasn't fit to be printed in the Bible, Jesus would have had every right, and none of us here would have, would have, would have, would have challenged him to say, Peter, um, you know, that, that was over the top. Uh, you need to take a, a step back. And these people here are going to take the primary seat, and you'll be a helper. But Jesus asked him the third time, and he switches it to this pretty strong word the third time, see? Peter, do you really feel this way about me? 
do you really love me? Do you, are you passionate about me? Do you care that much about me, really, Peter? And it says Peter was hurt because the third time Jesus asked him, and I think he got it. He got it. And he said, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And Jesus simply says, Peter, get back to work. Get to work. We got work to do. I need you to help me. You have a very important job. I need you to take care of my flock. And a few chapters later, we'll see in the gospel of, or in the book of Acts, we'll see Peter so bold that he faces down the Sanhedrin that he, that, well, that he swore he didn't know Jesus while they're interrogating him. He faces them down and says, listen, you tell us to stop preaching, I'm sorry. We can't do that. You, you know, there's a very good chance he could have been killed on the spot. He could have been crucified. He could have been tortured like Jesus. It didn't matter. Peter says, we can't do that. We have to obey God rather than men. Don't ask me to do that. What a transformation in this man. And you know, I love this. And we come to the communion table this morning. I love this account because I think we all can relate to this. We can all relate to this. There's not a person here, I really don't believe, in the, in the depths of our heart, if, if it was just you and the Lord talking, I don't think there's a person here that, that would say, um, Lord, I've never let you down. I've never failed you. I've never made a mistake. I've never, I've never denied in my life by the way I live, reactions that I didn't know you. We all know that. In fact, I know there are some, I've read some counselors and so on who, who made the statement that if all of us were honest, all of us were honest that one of the things we fear the most is that other people will know what we're really, we're really like. If they really knew, if, if you really knew what I was really like, would you love me? Would you love me? If I really knew what you were really like, would I love you? And that we all kind of have this fear because we all know how inadequate we are. We all know so well our, our weakness and our failings. And I just, as we come to the communion table today, and, and I just, I want us to remember this, this, this story. It is a story. It's a true story. That John, John, who was Peter's friend, his business companion before they followed Jesus, wrote this down. If he wasn't there, Peter had to tell him the story. That Jesus and his compassion and his kindness and his love and his understanding of human nature, Peter, he did, he did raise the question. He did lift it up there. And Peter could have Peter could have said, that's it. I know where this is going. I'm out of here. I'm done. I can't do this. But he just said, Lord, you know I love you. Do what you want. You know I love you. It's in your hands. And the Lord said, feed my sheep. And I just want to encourage you today, wherever you are in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus loves you. This we know because the Bible tells us so. He loves you. And he wants you to walk with him. Uh, this is a new day. It's wonderful that we as Christians celebrate Resurrection Sunday. We worship on the first day of the week. 
We worship a God of new beginnings. This is a new day. This is a new week. And whatever has passed in the weeks previous, this is an opportunity to tell the Lord Jesus, you know I love you. And God wants you to move forward and to live a life that pleases him and to serve him. But most of all, to love him. To love him. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. I don't know how to love God. <laughs> I really don't. But the Bible does say we love him because he first loved us. And we come to this, in fact, in the early church, you know, they, the, the pagans, the pagans actually criticized the Christians and said they celebrate a love feast when they share the last, that's what they called it. They said they're celebrating a love feast. And they're eating his flesh and drinking his blood. They're cannibals. It's a love feast. And you know what? It is. It is a love feast. Because that's why we're here today. We're here today because God loves us. And even as sometimes our life might respond and maybe, you know, come across, I like you too, God. <laughs> uh, we do love him. And that's why we're here today, to share his love. And I want you to take heart, take hope, and be encouraged that we worship a God in new beginnings. This is a new day. Let's lift our hearts. Rejoice in what God has done for us. We are a new creation. Behold, all things have become new. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life that reflects the God whom we serve, the God of love and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. And if you happen to be visiting with us today at our church, uh, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are welcome to share communion. You do not have to be a member of our church. You do not have to. You could be visiting. This could be your first time here. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are part of his family. As we receive, the, first of all, the bread, as Paul told us, the bread represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you know Christ as Savior, I want you to share in that. We're going to pass the plates to you. and we'll, You'll take a piece. If you'll just hold it, and while you hold that bread, I think it's a good time for us just to quietly meditate and reflect on how much God loves us. I had mentioned before that I've been told that, and I know it's true, that there are times for all of us that if people really knew what we were like, would they really love us? And the good news is the gospel. The Bible tells us, God, and I learned it in the King James, commandeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God chose to love you just the way you are. There's nothing you can do and there's nothing you or I did to make God love me more and there's nothing I will ever do in my life, ever, that will make God love me more than he loves me right now because God is love. This is a love feast. We celebrate God's love by eating this bread when our Lord said, this is my body. Take, eat. This is given for you. Lord, we do thank you that the precious body, sinless body of Jesus Christ, Son of God, fully God and fully man, was battered and beaten and bruised and placed on the cross 
for my sin. had an interesting experience last night, uh, knowing that we were going to share communion together. And just before I went to bed, I'm, I'm reading a book right now. Uh, it's actually from the Vietnam War. It's called uh, uh, Last Stand at Quezon. It was a battle in the Vietnam War that was uh, U.S. Marines primarily, but all the services. It was brutal. Uh, it was devastating. I read through it and I think, how did they get through this? And I was reading just before I went to bed last night about a chaplain and an assistant chaplain and some of the Marines that uh, on one of the hills outside of Quezon shared communion together. And at the end of that paragraph, the chaplain, the assistant chaplain, and several Marines with them were gone. Mortar attack, and they were gone. And it just reminded me, it just struck me, as we receive communion today, that this is something we do. We're just a small piece of, of, of God's plan and program. But this is something that we do that reaches our hands across the globe, across the centuries, and we share with our brothers and sisters in Christ a unity and a solidarity and a privilege of being part of something so much bigger than ourselves. A young lady today uh, is awaiting her death sentence because she converted to Christianity. And given the opportunity, said, no, I, I can't recant and deny my Lord. She is part of our family. Maybe her family is sharing communion today. And we have brothers and sisters throughout history that we are part of. As we drink this cup today, I want you to do so with the realization that we are part of the Lord Jesus Christ because he gave his blood for us. And I also want you to remember we are part of something so much bigger. What a privilege to be a part of God's family and a part of God's work and to go forth with here with the joy of Jesus Christ. Let's drink together. Father, this empty cup reminds me as well as the empty tomb. And our, our communion celebration, while it's about the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, is also about the resurrection and new life and hope. Hope is a wonderful thing. And we just love you today for what you have done for us, what you have blessed us with, the privilege it is to be brothers and sisters with such a great company of believers around this world, rich and poor, every continent, every race, that we are one together and we celebrate on this Lord's Day the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Normally we close our service with a hymn. Uh, but today, just, just for a little difference, we're going to close our service. But before we do, uh, often, normally at our communion service, we take a benevolent offering that goes into our church helping fund to use with, uh, to just help people in need from our congregation and our shoreline community. Um, but today, uh, we wanted to receive this offering. Uh, last week, we had the Grace Bible College traveling team with us, and we didn't take an offering for them. And uh, we normally do that. Uh, they didn't ask for anything, but we normally do that just to show our appreciation and to help with their traveling expenses. They're home now, they're safe, they're sound, they had a great trip. 
but we'd like to take a retiree, our second offering. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward, and we're just going to receive an offering. If you'd like to help with the ministry of Grace Bible College, uh, any offering you give today will go in its entirety uh, toward Grace Bible College. So the ushers are going to come forward, and come on down, and uh, we're going to receive the offering, and I think, you're going to play something for us, Shelley? What are you going to play? All things now living. Good for you. Thank you. And after that, I'll come and close in prayer, and we will be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the opportunity we had last week to share in the music of our young people and the group from Grace Bible College. And we pray that this offering will be used to further the work as they train young men and women to serve you and walk with you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and be dismissed in prayer. Thank you for coming today. Your presence here is a ministry to others, and I'd like to close our service with uh, just a reading from Ephesians chapter 3 as our benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him, to him, to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.